Well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to a very cold and somewhat overcast open air pulpit. Last time we were able to conclude from Genesis chapter 43, and I start today every May from Genesis chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. So you got here a picture of God's overflowing grace. Joseph, of course, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you are reading about, first and foremost, is concerning the prince of Egypt dealing with his estranged brethren. But prophetically, what you are looking at is the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with his brethren at the second advent. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn's money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Whatever he says to you, John chapter two, do it. Concerning Mary speaking, on behalf of Jesus and here Joseph is giving orders to his steward from verse 1 which if you want could be a picture of the Holy Ghost there are many types and shadows in the book of Genesis which we will discuss this morning look at verse 3 please as soon as the morning was light the men were sent away they and their asses or the men were sent away I should say they and their asses and when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? So once again, this is an ongoing game of cats and mouse, if you will. Joseph is the cat playing with the mouse. And like I said, over the last several weeks and months, Strictly speaking, there are no uh, old natures concerning the Old Testament greats. <clears throat> so we can't say this is Joseph enjoying his old nature, which we could say about those of us today. But what we can say for sure is that Joseph is enjoying himself as he toys with his brothers because he wants to break them down. This is a picture of the Lord working with those that are going to be saved. He will break such people down. He broke me down before I got saved. And when I first got saved 16 years ago, I was an emotional wreck. I was broken, I knew that I was a sinner. And I turned to the Lord in faith, was very emotional, shed a few tears, and by the grace of God, he saved me. So here Joseph, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ, is dealing with his physical brothers picturing Christ at the second advent dealing with his spiritual brothers but what he wants to do is break them down he wants to bring them to the end of themselves it's like John Wesley once said that if he was able to spend an hour with an unsaved person he would spend 50 minutes speaking about the law of the Lord the holiness the goodness the awesomeness of the Lord and the last 10 minutes focusing on the cross grace through faith in Christ alone. I like that. I like that approach. I think if we're not careful, 
we can fall into one of two uh, camps. We can fall into the Calvinist slash Arminian uh, wing of the church, which preaches for the most part now, Lordship Salvation, which of course is a heresy. Or you can be in the other wing of the camp, which teaches simply say a prayer or uh, they call it easy believism. The belief that you can just uh, think you are saved or hope you are saved or trust in something that took place when you were a child. And those liberal people that preach such a message are mainly reprobates, unsaved people. I like the middle way. That was King James's uh, term, the third way, the middle way. I think if you're too far on the one uh, wing of the church, say Lordship Salvation, it's problematic. And if you're too far on the other wing of the church, it's also problematic. Never lose sight that salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you don't keep it, and neither can you lose it. Five, is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth, or divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. You got a cup, verse two, and you got this cup, which has been suggested, <coughs> excuse me, by certain expositors to be a picture of the communion, the breaking of bread. If you go through uh, the world of magic, like Merlin, and we were in uh, Glastonbury uh, last year, they're very much into cups, the Holy Grail, and all that kind of a nonsense. But what Joseph is doing is he is, number one, dishing out uh, what he wants his brethren to take. They say, you know, if you can dish it, you can take it. But at the same time, he wants to shake them up. So you could say, if you want, that this cup is a picture of the breaking of bread, which we do every Sunday. Uh, but ultimately, this goes back to the prophecies that Joseph would receive concerning how one day his brothers and father would be in submission to him. And he overtook them. And he spake unto them these words concerning the steward, of course. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid, uh, God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then shall we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? So this time around they are innocent. Previously they were guilty, previously they sold their brother out to Ishmaelites, took money for it. it. Speaks about Jesus Christ being sold for 30 pieces of silver. They went back, broke the news to their father. That could have killed them. Many times you read about people that receive bad news and it just breaks them up and sometimes they die of a broken heart. I think it's fair to say that the brothers of Joseph were pretty ruthless. And I'll discuss that more in a few minutes. But here, they're innocent. The, the, uh, the tables have been turned. And here, once again, Joseph, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, via his steward, is breaking them down. He wants to humble them. Because if you're not humble, you'll never be saved. If you don't stop trying to save yourself, if you don't come to the end of yourself, you will never be saved. And that's why far too few people 
in the UK are getting saved because the churches don't preach the gospel. The churches are saying that you can go to heaven as you are, meaning you don't need to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, get, you, know, if you read the uh, 1994 Catholic Church's Catechism, written by the previous Pope, he says that Jews can go to heaven without Jesus. He says Muslims can go to heaven without Jesus. And yet go back to the 1950s and 60s, uh, Catholics were raised to believe that only Catholics would go to heaven. And now they believe that everybody goes to heaven and nobody goes to hell. It's a complete mess, of course. Nine. With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. So here they are, number one, recognizing that theft could and probably should result in a death. Thou shalt not steal. And if you go around the world or if you look through history, uh, what people would do back in the day before uh, post-truth uh, came along, or postmodernism, as it's called, people were killing guilty parties for stealing. And now, if you steal something, it's no big deal. If you kill someone, it's no big deal. Everything has gone completely belly up, as they say. But here, what you've really got going on, and like many parts of Scripture, you have to dig very deep, is a picture of substitution. A picture of the cross. Now, if you understand substitutionary atonements, if you understand why Christ had to die for the sins of the world, if you understand the power and authority that the devil enjoyed concerning all of those which have sinned, how like all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then you understand why Christ died for the sins of the world. Not only to forgive us of our sins, but to buy us back, to bring us back to Almighty God. And here, this is very similar to that type of a subject. 10. And he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. So Satan has a hold. He has a claim over the world. And that's pictured slightly back in the Old Testament when Balaam has been called to curse the children of Israel. And he goes up to a high point, something similar to this. And he looks into the valley and he can see maybe one maybe two million Jews, and he says to those that have paid him, picturing an apostate pastor who takes a salary and works for the uh, most generous uh, employer, I can see the children of Israel, it all looks very rosy down there, I can't see any sin down there, etc, 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 they are greatly blessed, so on and so forth, and of course you know that's not what it was like, there was a lot of sin, in the camp. You read about uh, Aaron falling three times before the Lord killed him prematurely. You read about Miriam also sinning several times before the Lord would kill her prematurely. And ultimately you read about Moses sinning two or three times before the Lord killed him prematurely. And incidentally, please join me this coming Sunday when I return to Exodus chapter 4. And as always it will be 11 a.m. UK time every Sunday morning and he said now also let it be according unto your words he with whom it is found 
shall be my servant. The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as a servant. Son of man. Didn't come to uh, be waited upon, but he came to serve. And ye shall be blameless. So Jesus Christ is not only the mediator between man and God, he's also the substitute between man and God. Because like I've said for 16 years now, this is my 16th year of being born again, we can't give God anything. We have nothing to give him. Our blood is no good, our bodies are no good, our brains are no good. We were never good even before we were saved, and we are certainly no good after we are saved. That's why the Lord gives you imputation, that's why the Lord has to adopt you into his family. Because you're no good, I'm no good. Never have been and never will be. So therefore, Jesus Christ enters the world and offers himself as a substitute, which is what uh, verse 10 is all about. Let's look at verse 11. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. It's a bit like Christmas Day or Boxing Day. Back in the time of the Victorians, they would open their boxes on Boxing Day, uh, St. Stephen's Day, as it was called. The royal family in the UK opened their presents Christmas Eve. And they have done for quite a long period of time. But here, there's a picture of desperation. Where's the cup? Who's got the cup? And whoever's got the cup is going to die. Going back to uh, verse 9, and also will be uh, the servant of Joseph, verse 10. Look at verse uh, 12, please. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So Benjamin was very close to Joseph. Joseph was very close to Benjamin. And like I said previously, in type, you could suggest that Paul and Jesus were very close both Jews, of course, beloved by Almighty God. And here, Benjamin has uh, been found with the missing cup. And of course, he has no idea what is about to take place. 13. And they rent their clothes and laded every man his ass and returned to the city. Rent their clothes. There's a picture of genuine grief, genuine shock. They had no idea what was going on. They had no idea that Joseph would order his steward, his servant, to put the cup into the bag, the backpack, if you will, of Benjamin. To their shock, it's been discovered. And they know what that means. Old Jacob, he's up in years now. As far as he is concerned, he's lost his favourite son. Uh, if you want the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll get word later that his favorite son is alive, picturing the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now it looks like his second and youngest uh, favorite son is now going to be detained, either killed or held as a prisoner. And that surely would break anyone. Of course, this too is building up to Israel's salvation. This is building up not only to one's reconciliation, but also one's repentance. Because for the Jews, yes, it's true, they have a special place in the hearts of the Lord. They are the chosen race, absolutely. But they can't be saved. 
they will never be saved as a people or individually until they receive their Messiah. So 13 verses dealing with number one, you reap what you sow. Number two, what took place many chapters earlier concerning the guilt of Joseph's brethren has now come back on them. Uh, what do they say? Uh, what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. But for this time, they're innocent. So the boot is on the other foot. They have been shaken up. They know they are in trouble. They know that Joseph is the most powerful man in the world. And now they've got a problem. And they are grief-stricken. Which, again, is going to picture the lead-up to a person's salvation. But... Uh, prophetically speaking, this is leading up to Israel receiving the Messiah at the end of the tribulation, going into the thousand-year reign of Christ, of course. Look at verse 14. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, and he was yet there, and they fell down, excuse me, and they fell before him on the ground. They fell before him on the ground. Was it 37? Chapter 37, Joseph said one day. You'll all be in submission to me. It speaks about at the name of Jesus, every head should bow. You've got multiple accounts in the Gospels of people coming to the Messiah, kneeling down to receive him. And I think of that account from John uh, chapter 20, 28, 27, 28, 29, or thereabouts, when Thomas said to the Lord Jesus Christ, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And I think... Well, I can't prove it, but I think that Thomas got down on his knees. When I got saved 16 years, uh, 16 years ago, I got down on my knees. And I prayed, spoke to the Lord for a good period of time, confessed my sins, many sins, sins which I'd long forgotten about. And I just begged, and I mean begged, the Lord to forgive me. It's only when you grow in grace and you start to listen to the many uh, teachers that are out there, you realize that all was necessary was simply to believe, receive what Christ has done for anyone, anywhere, at any time. But I came broken. I came uh, grief-stricken, and that's what I think is, number one, probably the best way to come, but this, or that is what I think we're reading about this morning. Fifteen. And Joseph said unto them, what deed is this that ye have done? Were ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Confess your sins to me. Go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Adam, where art thou? What have you done? Cain, what have you done to your brother? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Of our sins. Almighty God is drawing sinners unto him. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. God saves. You won't beat that. You won't find any other religious system on the face of the earth which number one guarantees you everlasting life. All of your past, present and future sins just washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. And number two that your Creator loved you so much that he would come into the human race, live like we live, experience what we experience, 
and yet, unlike us, would never sin a day in his life, would suffer more than we mainly suffer. And it says how he went to the cross, despising the shame, was buried with criminals like you and I, and after three days was raised from the dead. So here Joseph is very much enjoying, uh, toying, and I will use that term, uh, with his brethren, like a cat does with a mouse. And he wants to, number one, allow this to run, maybe one or two more chapters. He wants to break them down, but ultimately, Joseph, picturing Jesus Christ, wants his brethren to be redeemed. He loved his brethren. He had a righteous anger as well. I think it's worth reminding ourselves that having a righteous anger isn't sinful. Nothing wrong with having a righteous anger. You were told to be angry, but sin not. Be ye angry, but sin not. Don't allow yourself to become bitter. Look at verse 16. This is fascinating. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we, both we, and he also with whom the cup is found. You've got three incredible statements there. What shall we say unto my Lord? What can we say to our Lord and Saviour? What shall we speak like in our defence? And how can, how shall we clear ourselves? You can't. You can't clear yourself. Listen, if you're not born again, you cannot clear yourself. If you die without Christ, if you die without his precious blood, you cannot clear yourself. You are ruined. And old Daniel speaks about those dying without Christ, everlasting shame everlasting contempt, weeping and wailing, and gnashing of teeth. You can't clear yourself. You can't speak to the Lord. You can't say anything to the Lord. So these questions, these are very, very important questions, first and foremost concerning uh, Joseph's brethren. What can they say to their Lord, being Joseph? We know we are in trouble. He thinks we are thieves. He thinks we have stolen his cup. But prophetically, this is a picture of the Jews trying to reconcile themselves, trying to be redeemed, trying to return to the Messiah. And also, spiritually speaking, this is a great uh, passage to aim at unsaved people. Three questions which, without Jesus Christ, you can't really answer. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. You go through the whole system and you hope and pray that you die in a state of grace. You're not overly sure if you will or not. You may or may not have the priest arrive to give you the last rites. But even if he does arrive and give you the last rites, he can't guarantee you go straight to heaven. Because you may have forgotten to confess certain sins to him. And therefore, when you die, you go to purgatory where you burn for a few thousand years. Of course, purgatory doesn't exist, you understand, but that's what they believe. If you are a typical Protestant, you hope that your good works have uh, earned you favour in the Lord. You hope you've kept the golden rule. 
and you hope that you haven't done the big sins and when you die uh, your good works will outweigh your bad works but you can't know for sure that until you die and Judaism, Islam and all, all of the other isms all hold to the same sort of a thing ultimately they say be a good person be a good boy, be a good girl and all should come good well like I said last time and I'll say it again if I was to trust in my character or my conduct uh, pre or post my salvation as a way to earn favour or entrance into heaven then I wouldn't bother I wouldn't spend five minutes my character my conduct has has uh, has never been any good the word of God says how our, all of our righteousnesses is as filthy rags the word of God says how even the heavens even the heavens are unclean in the presence and the sights of the Lord and you think you can just breathe into glory and say well, look at me Lord I was a good Christian never smoked never got drunk never had sex before marriage never had children had a wedlock never did this never did that and you think he's gonna just shake your hand do you you think he's gonna just say I'm so proud of you but he'll say where's the blood of Christ where's my son's imputation why did you bypass what Jesus Christ did for you and I made the case last Sunday when I came to the end of uh, part one looking at uh, Exodus chapter 4 that I believe that hell isn't just going to be full of liberal God-haters it's going to be full of conservative Christ-rejectors as well self-righteousness is an awful, awful sin a smug, sanctimonious belief that somehow you are good enough to go to glory and somehow you are better than other people and if that's uh, what you are like you need to repent of that you need to quit it uh, 17 and he said God forbid that I should do so but the man in whose hand the cup is found he shall be my servant and as for you get you up in peace unto your father he wants his father father into thy hands I commend my spirits my God my God why hast thou forsaken me the father and I are one and here Joseph wants his father he wants to be reconciled to his father I read a post on Facebook a few days ago concerning the shooting that took place in Florida a few days ago in fact it wasn't Facebook it was a website a link that somebody very kindly sent to me and the article made the point the very valid point that one of the reasons why there is so much killing and maiming especially in America where guns are much easier to access than than in the UK is down to the fact that many of these male shooters excuse me are fatherless being raised by their mothers the fathers have absconded and these boys mainly boys are being raised without a father in their lives and of course they can't handle it they're going off the rails the mothers are unable to control their teenage sons and on top of that these boys are into computer games they are socially isolated drinking doing drugs pornography and of course their minds are just ruined 
and without a man to guide them, discipline them, and control them, they're going off the rails. And I thought that was a good point. That's what's really going on in America concerning all of this shooting. Yes, it happens around the world, uh, but not quite in the same degree, because as I say, uh, access to weapons is much more controlled in the UK. But the point is this, boys need their fathers. And here Joseph wants his father. And Jesus Christ wanted his father, and like I say, would be later reconciled to his father. But I like the, the, uh, the, uh, the latter part of uh, 17. Get you up in peace unto your father. He doesn't want to cause his, uh, his father any more pain. He knows his father is getting old. He knows that his father has missed him and has been grieving for him like Joseph would have been grieving for his father. He doesn't want to prolong uh, this any longer than it needs to go on. He wants to, as I say, break his uh, brothers down, but he wants to be reconciled to his father as well. 18. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servants, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servants, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord, one of the Lord Jesus Christ's name is Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, going back to Greek is Kurios, Lord, going back into Hebrew being uh, El Gabor, Adonai, uh, Elohim, Jehovah, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the term Lord always, always, always denotes the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the quickest ways to spot a counterfeit Christian, one of the quickest ways to spot a fake Christian or fake ministry is to check out what they believe concerning the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they Trinitarian? Do they hold to the deity? of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, and God the Father? Do they believe in one God and three persons? If they do, then they are classically conservative and classically of the Christian belief. But if they are weak on the nature of God, mark them out. Number two, what do they believe about the scripture? Do they believe in a perfect Bible? Do they believe in an infallible Bible? If they don't, mark them out. And thirdly, and finally, what do they do with salvation? What do they preach about how to go to heaven? Are they preaching faith and faith alone in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they preaching faith and works? And are they preaching that you can lose your salvation? If those three uh, points that I just listed are found wanting concerning the nature of God, the scripture and salvation, throw them out chuck them out. They, they are worthless. Absolutely worthless. For thou art even as Pharaoh. In other words, you have the power and authority from Pharaoh. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. When it speaks about doing something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the law, or knock, knock, is the police open up in the name 
in the name of the law, you know what it is speaking about. With the authority, with the authority of Jesus Christ, you are to be baptized, Acts chapter 2. Open the door, it's the police, we are here uh, with the authority of the law, we are the law. And therefore Jesus Christ has the authority from God the Father to, number one, offer everlasting life, number two, to buy back those of us which have strayed from the Lord, and number three, to send his apostles into the world. And here, Judah, picturing the faithful Jew who turns to Jesus in faith is pleading with Joseph. And we already spoke about Judah at length, how he started off pretty well. He tried to uh, save Joseph from death. Then he got tied up with his uh, daughter-in-law as she tricked him into uh, falling pregnant to get her seed, to get her inheritance. And here Judah is trying to come through. 19. And my Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? Who is this Jesus? We've come to worship him, Matthew chapter 2. We've been following a star from the east. Mr. Herod, can you tell us where the newborn king has been born? And here you've got a Jew inquiring about Jesus. Have ye a father or a brother? If you think about that, uh, that passage from... Uh, Proverbs 30, what is uh, God's son's name? And if you look at Islam today, they say that God hasn't got a son. And if you say that he has a son, you are cursed. Well, that's fair enough. Allah has no son because Allah, of course, isn't God. But the God of the Bible does have a son. 20, and we said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. There's a connection, there's a bond, there's something supernatural, there's something special. And going back to what I just said a few moments ago, a father has a special bond with his son, a daughter has a special bond with her mother. It's always been God's will for a couple, a man and a woman, to get married, not live together, have children if they are blessed to have children, and stay together. Now sometimes that's not possible. And just for the record, I don't believe that people should stay together just for the sake of it. I remember hearing a story years ago of a couple that had five sons, and it was a very volatile relationship and this couple had been married for probably 25 years and as the couple went through the years more and more children were born to them five sons like I say and the husband started off by being very violent to his wife and I mean very violent beating her up dragging around the house by her hair black and blue nearly killed her several times but she put up with that, she endured it, and then their firstborn son came along and the father started to attack him, beat him up, along with uh, the mother, the wife. And she went along with that for a while. The second son was born and he too started to get beaten by his father. 
The third son was born and he started to be abused. Three sons and she said to herself this, I can't allow this to go on any longer. I've tried to uh, placate my husband. I've tried to stop him being so violent. He's almost killed me several times. He has been incredibly violent to my first, second and third son. In fact, she had four sons, let me correct myself, four sons. And by the time the youngest son was born, she said, I can't go through this anymore. I've got to get out. And apparently, uh, after 20 years in this very violent and volatile marriage, she decided she had enough. She couldn't risk the death of one of her sons. She was prepared, I think, to die herself, uh, but not to put her sons through that. And apparently, uh, one night at two o'clock in the morning, she got up, packed her bags, grabbed her sons, got into the car and drove 300 miles to the other side of the UK. She wasn't prepared to endure that violence any longer. I can't blame her. I can't blame her. I think had she stayed in that marriage, somebody would have been killed. And then what would that have achieved? Nothing whatsoever. So sometimes, sometimes a separation is called for and sometimes a divorce is also called for. 21. And thou saidest unto thy servants, bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. You think of old Simeon, Luke chapter 2. The Lord had promised him that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he sees the Lord Christ, the newborn babe, and he's very happy to do so, blessed. And he commends Mary and Joseph. 22. And we said unto my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. The father and I are one. Now, to some extent, they are slightly overplaying this. And yet, to be fair to them, they don't know exactly what the response is going to be from their ailing father. The brothers have tried to reassure old Jacob that they will deal with this. But at the same time, they are almost about to panic leading up to salvation. 23. And thou saidest unto thy servants, except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. You shan't see me until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Again, you can't miss the types and shadows, can you? Concerning Jesus and the Jews, concerning or contrast that to Joseph and his brethren. 24, and it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. So now Benjamin is a type of Jesus. You won't see God Almighty without the Lord Jesus Christ's imputed righteousness.
And thy servant, 27, my father said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. Could be picturing Jew and Gentile. John chapter 10, I have other sheep that are not yet of this fold. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surety, he is torn in pieces. And I saw him not since. Dead you. Spiritually speaking, unbelieving Israel, going back to the prodigal son, also in reference to Jesus Christ, dying for the sins of the world, Jew and Gentile. And if you take this also from me, verse 29, a mischief before me, you shall bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave. You're going to break my heart. It's also fair to say that some mothers punish uh, their children and they say this that unless you are a good boy you won't see your father this weekend it goes both ways it's not just men that abscond and leave their sons and also daughters hanging many times the uh, mothers of the children won't allow their former husbands boyfriends to see their children and there was a pressure group in the uk some years ago called uh, fathers for justice and they were trying to get the law changed. They were trying to make the case that they too had rights and it was breaking them up, destroying them, that they couldn't see their own children, boys and girls. And apparently many men were committing suicide because their estranged wives, girlfriends were not allowing them to see their sons. So it goes both ways. It's not just the men, the weak men that are abandoning their families many times the women meet new partners new boyfriends and they move away and the kids of course go with them and never see their fathers again 30 now therefore when i come to thy servant my father and the lad be not with us seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us that he will die and thy servants shall bring down the grey hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Bit of a guilt trip there. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then shall I bear the blame of my father forever. Well, absolutely. If you are a Jew and you don't share Jesus with your Jewish brethren, or if you are a Jew and you stop others preaching about Jesus, you will, you will uh, bear the blame indefinitely if you are a christian and somebody tries to stop you from preaching the gospel they too will bear the blame forever 33 now therefore i pray thee let thy servants abide instead of the lad a bondman to my lord let the lad go up with his brethren bondman substitution jesus christ is our substitute you want to bypass him you want to breeze into glory. You want to breeze into the presence of Almighty God and tell him what a great person you were and expect him to congratulate you. He will condemn you. If you look at any faith system, any theistic system anywhere in the world, they all teach, like I say, the same kind of a thing be a good person, don't commit the big sins, and you should perhaps, possibly, be okay. But the Word of God says how all unrighteousness is sin. 
all lawlessness is sin. Yes, there are different degrees of sin, different degrees of hell, like there are different degrees of rewards, different uh, degrees in heaven, absolutely. But without Christ, you are lost. 34. And how shall I go up to my father? And the lad be not with me. Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. So Jesus is precious to his father. The father is precious to Jesus. And once again, this is a picture of family. The family unit. The historical, traditional family unit. And that's why it's always preferred for families to stay together. But sometimes it's not possible. Also, allow me to say this. One statistic that I heard quite recently is now suggesting that domestic violence is 50-50. It's right down the middle. Women are just as violent to the men as the men are to the women. But you hear very little about that. If you speak about domestic violence, if you talk about domestic violence, most people think you are speaking about the man assaulting the woman. No, it goes both ways. The woman can also assault the man. And when the man calls the police, if he feels able to, many times they don't come. And going back to what I said a few moments ago, I've also heard of uh, certain men uh, committing suicide due to domestic violence, and also losing their children. So chapter 44, Joseph, his brethren, his father. Joseph, his brethren, his father. Joseph, toying with his wicked brethren. Jesus Christ, molding. Jesus Christ, sending tribulation to his wicked brethren which you find throughout history with the hope, uh, with the desire to save them, to redeem them. Israel, as far as God is concerned, still has a second chance. 45.1 Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. John chapter 11, Jesus wept. Acts chapter 20, Paul speaks about crying for, I think, three days concerning the false teachers that would come into the church. Peter says that uh, evil people uh, would not just deny him, 2 Peter 2, one thing it is, but would make merchandise through him, like organized religion does today. And it's been like false prophets, false teachers back in the old days, as there would be for the church age. So I say that because sometimes men are condemned for being emotional. Sometimes men are castigated for not showing emotion. And the truth is that men can't really win, can they? If they're too emotional, they are called sissies. And if they show no emotion, they are accused of being cold-hearted. 
indifference. But here Joseph can't hold back any longer. He's breaking. And if you think of the Lord Jesus Christ weeping over Jerusalem, you can see once again the parallels too. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. He didn't care who heard it. It speaks over an acts of the Apostle Paul breaking bread, eating en route to Rome and praying. And it speaks about all those on board observing Paul and co. And that's a great picture, surely, of public praise. Public praying to some extent or going into a restaurant, bowing your heads and giving thanks to the Lord. Not always easy, I know, but here Joseph can't hold back any longer. He's broken, and this is a type of Christ waiting, what, 2,000 years for the Jews to be reconciled to him. Revelation 1 says, every eye will see him, some be weeping, some wailing. It says also in uh, chapter 6 of Revelation how those uh, wealthy people, Bond, rich and poor, so on and so forth, are going to hide themselves in their caves and say, uh, hide us from the face of the Lamb that sits on the throne. Slight abbreviation, excuse me, but different people are going to react in different ways. But here this is coming from the perspective of Joseph, the perspective in type of Jesus. And verse 3, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not, could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They were shocked at his presence. They couldn't answer him. They were dumbstruck. And also guilt-ridden too. Doth my father yet live? Is my father still alive? Of course, he knew that his father was alive, but he wanted to hear it from the mouths of his brethren. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me. I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, you can't miss it, can you? Joseph isn't angry. He isn't bitter. He wants to reach out to his brethren. He has shown a great level of forgiveness, which is something else that people should do. If you have been wronged, if you are maybe the man I've spoken about or the woman that I've spoken about concerning domestic violence in this message and you are angry to your former wife, former girlfriend or former boyfriend, former husband, you must, you must forgive that party. Otherwise you will suffer more and on top of that you will destroy yourself. Without forgiveness, and I mean unconditional forgiveness, you would just waste away. I'll tell you something, I'll get back to this in a minute. Two weeks ago, an anniversary came uh, along concerning an awful murder concerning a young child in the UK many years ago, which I remember at the time. And I saw, uh, I've read articles and I saw a brief clip of the parents of this young child that was murdered. It was an awful story, terrible story. And I watched the mother being interviewed and I just muted the volume. Just wanted to 
look at her facial expressions. And I thought that poor woman, she has been struggling with the murder of her young child. It's been a long, long time, a very long time. And I can still see, you can still see the pain and anger and bitterness all over her face. I don't blame her. As far as I'm concerned, she never got justice. And her husband or ex-husband was also being interviewed a few days ago and I watched a very brief bit of his uh, interview. Again, I cut the, cut the audio because I know the background to it quite well. And again, angry, bitter. And I thought, number one, they both have been robbed of justice. But number two, they've got to move on with their lives. They have to forgive the murderers of their child. Incredibly difficult, I know. I don't know what their religion is or their faith is. I have no idea what they believe or don't believe. But I know one thing, if they don't forgive the perpetrators, the two murderers of their young child, they will live with that forever and they will lose out. It will destroy them. Because I tell you something, those two murderers and tragically have both been released, I should say, have moved on with their lives. Whereas the parents of the young child are still living back in that awful time in their lives. I don't blame them. And nor am I saying is it easy. But if you want peace, if you want closure, and more importantly, if you want to get saved, You've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with those that have wronged you. Otherwise, you will never get closure. I am Joseph. I am Jesus, your brother. Verse 4. Whom you sold into Egypt. We have no king but Caesar. We shan't have this man to reign over us. The Jews sold out God the Father. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Jews sold out God the Son, uh, Matthew 27. The Jews sold out God the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 7. And here, once again, Joseph, type of Jesus, is forgiving. And praise the Lord that he is. I mean, he could have killed his brothers. He was a very powerful man. And I've already shown you from... Uh, uh, 44, 18, how Joseph was like Pharaoh. And yes, when Jesus comes back, Revelation 19, many scores are going to be settled. And many executions as well. 5. Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God to send me before you to preserve life. Absolutely so. Don't be angry, going back to what I've spoken about. Don't be bitter, going back to what I've been speaking about so over the last 45, 50 minutes. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. If you have been wronged, you have to forgive. You have to find closure. Towards the end of uh, Frank Sinatra's life, he got on the phone and started ringing up uh, past friends. And uh, one person he phoned up, was Shirley MacLaine and he'd been very friendly with her back in the 50s and 60s but the friendship had gone south and according to MacLaine 
she said that uh, Sinatra phoned her up and wanted to say sorry, wanted to apologize, wanted to make amends. For many, many years, he had cut people off, had probably suffered with bipolar, if the truth were known. Many of his friends and former friends went to the grave, never seeing Frank again, never having closure. And then when he got up in years, guilt got a hold of him and he started to reach out to people. He wanted to apologize to people. You may say it was too little, too late, who knows? But at least he was trying. At least he was trying to reach out to people. And I think it went some way with Shirley MacLaine. But here, five, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me out physically and with Jesus spiritually. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Preserve life. Jesus Christ is the ark of our salvation, the captain of our souls. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. So the tribulation is going to run seven years. It has been said by some that Christ returns at the middle point of the seven years to rapture the 144,000 but either way, you've got seven years, knock off two, that gives you five. And here, there's the potential for two years of famine, and then five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. So seven years, something is going to happen during the seven years, and there's the potential return of Christ to come back from heaven, Revelation 14 and be with 144,000. Maybe, I don't know. Seven, for God set me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Jesus, of course. To Joseph will save his brethren physically through famine, through pestilence. He will provide food for them and also Jesus will provide substance and food in a spiritual sense, but ultimately he will provide our salvation. Eight. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So we know how all things work together for good to those that love God, to those which are the called according to his purpose. We know that God is sovereign. We know that when God says something will happen like, let there be light, there will be light. We know that God is all powerful. And here Joseph wants to remind gently his brothers, his brethren, that God was always in control, that God was calling the shots, that they shouldn't be too hard on themselves. And yet at the same time, that doesn't exonerate them from their behavior. It speaks about uh, how it was written that the Son of Man would come and be betrayed. Matthew 27, or make it 26, I think it is. And then Jesus goes on to say, and warrant that man who has betrayed him, it were better for him 
if he were if he was never born again a slight paraphrase excuse me that's dealing with God's uh, foreknowledge a man's accountability the two go hand in hand those that betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ those that rejected the Lord Jesus Christ are not going to be exonerated yes God ordained it but that doesn't mean they are innocents wasn't you that sent me hither but God and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house also picturing the thousand year reign of course and are all throughout all the land of Egypt haste ye verse 9 and go up to my father and say unto him thus saith thy son Joseph God hath made me Lord of all Egypt come down unto me tarry not and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen and thou shalt be near unto me thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast and there will I nourish thee for yet there are five years of famine lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty so the Jews are going to get saved in the tribulation the Jews are going to be provided protected preserved by the Lord during the tribulation the Antichrist won't be able to destroy them they won't take the mark of the beast Gentiles also are going to get saved of course and they too will be taken care of like God will take care of the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years and here Joseph is picturing the deliverer the savior the Messiah of course being ultimately Jesus Christ 12 and behold your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you in other words I'm speaking first and foremost in Hebrew not Egyptian and secondly no more need for tongues first Corinthians 1 says that the Jews require a sign and they got many signs throughout the book of Acts um, one of the signs that they enjoyed uh, or that they, that they uh, experienced back in Acts was the speaking of tongues and they made fun of that Acts chapter 2 and you got I think 12 different tongues mentioned in Acts chapter 2 and some bright sparks said uh, these men are full of new wine it's not yet nine o'clock in the morning in other words they've been drinking all night making fun of the apostles speaking in tongues and old Peter gets up and away he goes starts to preach to them but here there's no need for tongues there's no need for any kind of mystery because the church for now is a mystery uh, the church is a type of Israel for now so Joseph is speaking in Hebrew and also no more need for tongues uh, look at verse 13 please and ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that ye have seen and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither preach Jesus it says over in Acts many many times how the apostles preached Jesus do you preach Jesus I mean if you are a street preacher do you preach Jesus if you are an evangelist do you preach Jesus I'm afraid a good number of street preachers that I have seen online over the years and observed with my own eyes in the UK are preaching their church they are preaching their system 
they are preaching their pastor they're not preaching Jesus same kind of thing here tell my father of all my glory in Egypt type of Jesus concerning all of my glory throughout the world during the church age look at verse 14 this is wonderful and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck this is genuine you've got two Jewish men biological brothers same mother being reconciled after many years and again this will picture the Jews being reconciled to Jesus at the end of the tribulation going into the thousand year reign of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ of course and also we can take this to go back to the prodigal son Luke chapter 15 look at 15 moreover he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them and after that his brethren talked with him now I've read this many times over the years and every time I read it I always think the same thing look at it again moreover he kissed all his brethren Joseph kissed all his brethren and wept upon them he's doing the kissing and he's doing the weeping but look at this uh, colon and after that his brethren talked with him there's no mention of his brethren kissing or weeping did you notice that unlike Benjamin the previous verse which could suggest that Benjamin is a type of believing Israel and the other brothers verse 15 are a type of the unbelieving Jews unbelieving Israel I won't go beyond that and really push that home because like I've been saying over the last little while it could be that the 24 elders spoken of several times in Revelation are number one the 12 sons of Jacob and therefore they are obviously saved and the other 12 will be the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ and they obviously were saved so I don't know what else to make with this verse apart from the fact that it would appear up until verse 15 that they are more in shock and also maybe just slightly angry that he has tricked them that he has deceived them like they tricked Joseph like they deceived Joseph sometimes people's salvation uh, or the remorse uh, comes later some people have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and got very emotional later on others have got emotional at the beginning and down the line have become somewhat blasé somewhat indifferent if you contrast verse 15 to Acts uh, 20 36 to 38 you've got uh, Paul having great uh, fellowship with the elders in Ephesus a lot of crying a lot of cuddling going on and the term holy kiss comes into my mind like a good old handshake or a good embrace or if you are from the continent like France or Spain kissing on both cheeks when people greet you then you see the difference you see the contrast between Paul and the elders in Ephesus contrast that to Joseph and the rest of his brethren excluding Benjamin from verse 14 
Look at verse 16, please. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleaseth Pharaoh well, and his servants. So Pharaoh is a Gentile. Pharaoh is a type of the church. The church is always happy when Jews come to Jesus. 17. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts and go. Get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the lands of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fats of the land. So now Pharaoh gives the order to Joseph to go and be reconciled with the rest of his family. As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Same kind of thing. And here, if you will, Pharaoh pictures God the Father and Joseph pictures God the Son. <coughs> 19. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. So once again, the commission has been given from God the Father to God the Son. Of course, Isaiah speaks about God the Son. I think it's Isaiah 49 for memory. Wanting uh, to come to the earth. And also from Isaiah 49, God the Father promises God the Son the Gentiles. Yes, he'll come first and foremost to the lost tribes of Israel. He will come to the house of Israel. And yes, obviously, some would receive him, but many would not. And therefore, the switch, the very subtle switch, takes place. And the Gentiles, those that would receive him, those that would believe on him, are grafted in. 20. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Millennial reign, of course. Joseph picturing Jesus Christ and again it could be that the prince spoken of from uh, Ezekiel and the sons of the prince could be Manasseh and Ephraim going back to the possibility that Joseph could be the prince and the children of Israel did so and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. Paul says how God will supply your every need. If you are saved, if you are in the will of God, you will never want anything. Romans 8.28 takes care of your salvation. Other parts of scripture speak about your practical salvation. From uh, Matthew 6 it says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Again, a slight abbreviation, I do apologize. But the point is this, that God will never leave you hanging. If you are saved, he will obviously save you, he will keep you saved, and he will also provide for your every need. Of course, if you fall out of fellowship with him, if you start to go back into the world, if you start to do things your own way, like the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, you will struggle. You'll go through very difficult times. It could also be that some of those fathers that I've spoken about, not seeing their children, estranged from their 
former spouses, some of those men may possibly have been saved and couldn't go on any longer without their children and fell out of fellowship with the Lord, became bitter, angry, excuse me, and therefore took their own lives. It does happen. Suicide should never be an option. Suicide is very cowardly. It may uh, fix your problems and grief. Uh, but how about those that you leave behind? You kill yourself and your kids have got no father now or your wife has no husband or maybe the woman takes her own life and the kids have lost their mother and the husband has lost his wife. It's never acceptable and yet sometimes I'm afraid to say it does happen. 22. To all of them he gave each man's change of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave them 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. Raiment. Clothing. He gave each man changes of raiment. Could be imputation. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. Different types of clothing. So what you could suggest is here Joseph is giving his brothers physical clothing, picturing what God would give Adam and Eve uh, physical clothing once they were kicked out of Eden. And that has been suggested by some scholars to be a picture of their salvation, going back to imputation. And if that is the case concerning the brothers of Joseph, then they are saved. Or it could be in reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, Jesus Christ speaks about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and others coming from the four corners of the earth to sit down uh, concerning such a feast taking place. But either way, Joseph is dispensing. Joseph is in charge. He's giving out the clothing, the garments. And also, if you think about that account from Matthew 21, Matthew 22, always forget where it is, where the king has a banquet and people are invited and some guy breezes in and he's not wearing the correct clothing, raiment, attire, and the king says, who is that man? And the man is speechless, and the king says to his guards, bind a man on foot, and cast him out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a picture there, obviously, of somebody trying to get into heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 25, if you will. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. The term governor is found over in uh, Matthew chapter 2 concerning the newborn king. And here you can't miss it, can you? And he told him, saying, Joseph, Jesus is yet alive, and he is governor, boss, leader over all the land of Egypt. For here and now, he has been over the kingdoms of this world in a spiritual sense. 
concerning those that believed on him and believe in him. Revelation speaks about the Christ, the Messiah, uh, becoming ruler over all of the kingdoms of this world in a physical sense. And Jacob's heart fainted. Israel's heart fainted. Believing remnants, comma, for he believed them not. Like the apostles, when Christ comes up out of the tomb, he would appear first and foremost to Mary. And she makes it clear to the apostles what has happened. There is unbelief going on. Peter and John run to the tomb to inspect it for themselves. Uh, John outruns Peter because he's younger. And because he's younger, he stops allows Peter to go in first, and then John goes in, then Peter comes out, and then John comes out, and they realise that what she has said is true. So again, you've got first advent, you've got second advent. You've got this wonderful news being relayed back to Jacob, being Israel, of course, that the Messiah is alive, has been resurrected. The believing Jews... Uh, Romans 11 are going to believe on him. But initially, there's doubt, there's scepticism, like the apostles would also experience. Because what do they say? Seeing is believing. And yet Thomas was blessed because he had seen and believed. And Jesus would say to Thomas, but blessed are those that have not seen and yet still believe. 27. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. It is finished. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you are a preacher, if you are a brother in the Lord, if you have any kind of teaching ministry, are you preaching the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross? Are you preaching the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you teaching that we are saved through faith in Christ alone? Are you preaching one God in three persons? Are you preaching the supremacy of Scripture, sola scriptura? Are you holding the Scripture as a final authority? Are you preaching that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God? If you are, praise the Lord, and I, I'm quite happy to shake your hand. But if you're not, you are heretic. You are a heretic, and you are guilty of heresy. So the wonderful news has been relayed to... Jacob, that is son, his beloved son, is alive. And not just that, but Benjamin is safe. The brothers are all safe. And on top of that, Joseph wants to be reconciled to his father. And he wants his father and co to come and see him. 46.1 And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Bathsheba, and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. So, Jacob wasn't always a good patriarch. Jacob wasn't always as godly and as good as he should have been. 
But the scripture makes it very clear that no matter what you do or how it goes, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Once he decides to do something for you or for me or for anybody, it will take place. It will happen. And here, quite rightly, Israel, Jacob wants to thank the Lord. In America, they call this Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, we haven't got that, or we don't have such a feast day in the UK. We are very ungrateful, uh, for the most part, those in Britain. But here, he wants to thank the Lord. He wants to uh, offer a sacrifice, which for today, we do so via our bodies. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Uh, Romans chapter 12, you are to offer your body as living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Two, and God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So he is reiterating the promise made to Abraham and to Isaac. It took a long time for this to uh, come through, picturing the church age running for at least 2,000 years before the Lord comes back to initiate his thousand-year reign. Also, the middle part from verse 4, I will, I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Similar to Paul and Ananias, Acts 15. In fact, make that Acts chapter 9, excuse me, Acts chapter 9. But ultimately, this is also a picture of being able to see. Now, in the context, physical, uh, but spiritually, in the context of being able to see in a spiritual sense, because the Jews have been blinded. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, Satan has blinded their eyes, their minds. They can't see, they can't perceive. Jesus Christ would say that they had ears but couldn't uh, hear, and they had eyes but could not see. And therefore, Joseph, as a type of Jesus, is going to give his father physical sight and also spiritual sight. Not just for his old father, but also for believing Israel down the line. Uh, five, and Jacob rose up from Bathsheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and the little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Before uh, King James of England died, uh, his wife, Anna, died. She was 44 years of age, uh, and amazingly, she was the same age as James's mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was also 44. And as Anna was getting sick and on the point of death, she was almost blind and died of liver complications. She instructed her aides that nobody would see her, and that included her beloved husband, James. And when Anna died, uh, James was also sick, very unwell, and he was so sick, like Cromwell, that he couldn't go to uh, his wife's daughter, like Cromwell, couldn't go to his daughter's funeral. And because he was very ill, very sick, in fact, he was so sick, it, it lasted, I think, uh, 15 days from beginning to end. Uh, he had to be carried. He had to be carried, and James was half the age that Jacob was. 
And when it speaks about carrying their father, uh, verse 5, I think of James' servants having to carry the king because he was physically too weak. And the little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So Pharaoh, number one, invites them to the land. And number two, provides transportation to make this happen. Which is also mentioned from uh, Revelation uh, concerning uh, the believing remnants going into the wilderness and the earth taking care of uh, believing Israel's needs. And some have suggested that some kind of an airlift may take place in the tribulation. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But either way, this is dealing with provision. Going back to God directly and indirectly taking care of people's needs, like his own people. Six, and they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. It's a major exodus. I mean, they're going to go from Canaan into Egypt. And then from Exodus, they're going to go from Egypt into Canaan. They're going to come out of one uh, place and go into another place, and then from that place back to another place. For today, we would say this, that when we get saved, we are to come out of the world. The Word of God says, uh, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Uh, if you are uh, a lover of the world, you are... An adulterer, an adulteress, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the uh, pride of life, so on and so forth. Jump down to uh, uh, 28, if you will. Then he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. So Judah is like an advanced party. Judah is like a mediator. And Judah, once again, is... Back in God's good books, if you will. And Joseph made ready his chariots and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. So like Benjamin and Joseph, this is a real thing. And also you see Joseph making uh, the inroads. Joseph has off to meet his father. He doesn't say, let my father come to me. He is respecting his father, which is a bit like the prodigal son once again. Luke 15, it says how uh, whilst the son was a good way off, the father spotted him and he ran and embraced his son. And here Joseph makes ready his chariot, goes off to meet his father. And when he meets himself, he presents himself to his father, falls on his neck, weeps on his neck a good while. So they're both crying, lots of uh, embracing Going back to uh, Paul and the elders being reconciled, and it's all good, of course. 30. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Son, I'm happy to go home to glory. I've lived a good old life. He's around 130 by the time he meets Pharaoh in the next chapter. And as far as he is concerned, he is good to go. 
but of course he will live longer just because he's been reconciled to Joseph type of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that God is all through with him and again Jews that get saved in the tribulation are going to meet Jesus like face to face Matthew 25 they are the sheep and they go into the promised land and they are going to inherit the new earth and there'll be uh, opportunities for them to really shine to really honor uh, the Savior 32 in fact go back to uh, 31 please 31 and Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him my brethren and my father's house which are in the land of Canaan are come unto me and the men are shepherds for their trade hath been to feed cattle and they have brought their flocks and the herds and all that they have so Israel is about to meet Pharaoh Israel is about to meet the church 33 and it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say what is your occupation that ye shall say thy servants trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now both we and also our fathers that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians so just be honest with uh, Pharaoh tell him who you are tell him what you are tell him where you've come from don't play down the fact that you were shepherds or have been shepherds that we the children of Israel have been shepherds because as far as the Egyptians were concerned uh, being a shepherd was an abomination but Joseph has been a shepherd Moses will be a shepherd Jesus is the good shepherd and here Joseph wants to introduce his father to Pharaoh because Joseph has been a son to Pharaoh and Pharaoh has been a father to Joseph picturing God the father and God the son but here Joseph has a literal father and he wants to introduce his father to Pharaoh it's a picture of Jew and Gentile being introduced to one another which if you want if you want could be a picture of for here and now the believing Gentile and the believing Jew and uh, according to Galatians 3 uh, once a Jew gets saved and once a Gentile gets saved we are neither Jew nor Gentile in the eyes of the Lord we are simply a Christian in the body of Christ but also from 1st Corinthians Paul speaks about the Jew the Gentile and the church three groups of people so just over an hour and 30 minutes from a somewhat blustery and cold open-air pulpits and as always you've got a very honest account of forgiveness reconciliation salvation forgiveness reconciliation salvation those that hold grudges those that refuse to forgive those that live with bitterness and anger will destroy themselves and if they have families they will also be destroyed because uh, such children will see their fathers or mothers being angry refusing to forgive those that are wrong them if Joseph was able to forgive his brothers 
for what they put him through. Why can't you forgive those that have wronged you? To forgive is uh, to be like Christ. Christ will say on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The theme, forgiveness, reoccurs time after time in both Testaments. People that forgive are able to have great peace. They're able to reflect the love of God, the character of God. But those that don't forgive, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, destroy themselves. I remember, I think it was two or three years ago, one of uh, uh, Myra Hinley's and uh, her partner in crime, whose name escapes me, will come to me in a moment, killed several children, wicked couple, should have been executed uh, when they were first found guilty back in the 1960s. And one of the victim's mothers uh, lived maybe 40, maybe that 50 years after her son's disappearance, excuse the sniffing, and uh, she was very angry. She was bitter for many, many years, wouldn't forgive Brady, that was his name, uh, Brady, wouldn't forgive Brady, wouldn't forgive Hindley. Hindley became a Catholic, uh, never really repented, never really came clean, uh, played the whole thing down, didn't really take responsibility, and Brady, who died last year, I think it was, wanted a satanic funeral. And he wanted uh, his ashes to be uh, discarded somewhere, and to the credit of the court, uh, the high court said, no, that won't happen, he'll have an ordinary uh, burial a private, nondescript uh, burial. We won't allow this man to have the last laugh, if you will. But the elderly mother, I think it was uh, uh, Bennett, the, boy was, the boy's name was Bennett, her name was Winnie something, uh, she couldn't forgive Henley, and she couldn't forgive uh, Brady, and she was bitter, she was broken, she was angry. And again, I don't blame her. Her son was never found buried somewhere uh, over in Leeds where that awful uh, situation took place. But had she forgiven such a couple and left such a couple to the Lord, she would have healed, she would have got closure and perhaps got saved as well. I don't know where she is now, but when I see people who have gone through awful situations, being unable to forgive, being unable to find closure, holding that grief, remaining angry and indifferent and bad-mouthing those that are wrong them. Could be an estranged husband. The kids hear it and the kids copy it and the kids become like their angry mothers or sometimes angry fathers, but most of the time it's the mothers who get the children. Most mothers get custody of their children and the children grow up listening to their mothers and sometimes grandmothers being very angry, bad-mouthing the absent fathers, and of course the kids grow up and they become like their mothers and their grandmothers, and that's why you've got to cut that off. You've got to stop that poisonous talk. And again, it goes both ways. Sometimes the fathers are bad-mouthing the mothers and the kids grow up to hate their mothers. It's a mess. Is an absolute mess. It goes back to the fall. It goes back to uh, original sin. But if you want to have the perfect peace, which passes all understanding, number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as your saviour, 
And once you do that, be reconciled to those that have wronged you. <clears throat> when I first got saved, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the first things I did was reach out to people that I had wronged. And I wrote to people and I went to visit people and I sat down with people and I wanted to clear the air with many people that I had wronged and I was able to do that and hopefully that helped them. It certainly helped me. Uh, but don't uh, leave pain undealt with. If you are dealing with a broken heart, forgive those that have wronged you. Go to them and tell them you are sorry if you have wronged them. I had to do that when I first got saved. It wasn't very easy, uh, but I had to do that, and I think you should do that as well, because that's what's holding you back. You're holding some kind of a vendetta, or you feel guilty, got a bad conscience, like Joseph's uh, brothers did, and Joseph reached out to them before they reached out to him, which is a great picture of God Almighty reaching out to sinners uh, to save us before we ask him. In fact, strictly speaking, we haven't got to ask him anything. We haven't got to ask him anything. We don't need to ask him anything. He already knows what our needs are, our needs are. And when we turn to him in faith, he's already seen it anyway. It's like a formality, isn't it? It's like when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Uh, you get baptized and people see that. That's really for the benefit of other people. Because before you believed on the Lord, before you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, the Lord Jesus, God already, God already saw it. He already saw it and he saw it before you even did it. And that's justification in the sight of God, Romans chapter 4, whereas when you confess with your mouth and you broadcast that you love the Lord, that you are born again, that gets seen by those all around you. And that's what James chapter 2 is all about as well. Works in the sight of your fellow man. Unfortunately, most people get that messed up and they put works into the equation <coughs> when it comes to salvation and teach a package, a plan of salvation, which is not only fraudulent, but can't save you anyway. And it causes you to feel... Uh, unworthy, unable, a failure, you can't really live it. I mean, who can live the gospel? I mean, who can really live the Christian life? The greatest man who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, said he couldn't live it. So if he couldn't live it, why do you think you can live it? Just come to the foot of the cross if you're not saved, receive him, believe on him. And like I say, once you've done that, if you need to, reach out to those that you have wronged, seek their forgiveness, tell them that you want uh, their forgiveness and apologise for what you have done and then you can go off and preach the gospel to those that uh, need to hear it. Time is of the essence and what has been a wonderful uh, blessing for me reading these passages is that although many years had gone by, it wasn't too late. Joseph's elderly father hadn't died all of his brothers were safe and sound, their wives, their children were all around. And I think from Acts of the Apostles, it speaks about 75 souls. 75 souls leading, leaving Canaan to go into Egypt, which later on is a type of the world. And therefore, Hosea chapter 11 says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
and they leave uh, Egypt and go back into Israel, which causes a picture of the Jew being in their land at the second advent, going into the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many types and shadows and I appreciate as always bearing with me and I pray you are all well, blessed. And again, please join me this coming Sunday when I get to return and hopefully complete Exodus chapter four. And may the Lord bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.